Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Next is now. Yeah, we're always trying to explore what is coming next. And, of course, this week is an interesting week to look at what comes next in terms of education. It's National School Choice Week. The idea of school choice where parents can take their tax dollars elsewhere and help pay for better schooling for their children is, of course, gaining popularity across the country. Uh, the question is, why is that? Uh, and for supporters of public schools who are worried that this would take needed funds out of the public education system, what sorts of issues need to be addressed so parents have confidence in their local schools? How do we keep and foster that? And so I want to turn to some some interesting sources and a fascinating conversation uh, between Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina. Uh, he's been on this program before and uh, has some some strong opinions in terms of choice and what that means. Uh, he hosted a virtual roundtable uh, on school choice. He laid out some of the reasons that the idea of school choice is becoming more popular. And he was joined in that conversation by former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. And so this is an interesting conversation. Uh, also, uh, Utah Congressman Burgess Owens also participated in the forum. And these are all individuals who came out of poverty, who came out of uh, the Deep South for the most part, uh, who faced challenges uh, in their own schools and education. So to me, this is a really interesting perspective in terms of where we are with school. Uh, and so Senator Tim Scott uh, kicked it off and uh, just talked about why why this idea is gaining momentum and what it actually means. Especially you have the delineation between the, the wealthy who have school choice because they just pick the school they want their kids to go to and they send them. The middle class and the affluent who can pick the school district and then find the house. But for the working class person working day paycheck to paycheck, every day having long hours with lower pay, you don't have the same options for your kids. And the only folks it seems like to me in America who does not have a path to school choice are working class parents. And one of the reasons why today 80% of working class people support school choice, 76% of Hispanics support school choice, and one of the highest numbers ever recorded in history, 73% of African American parents support some form of school choice. So that's Senator Tim Scott, uh, again, a Republican from South Carolina, and this very fascinating uh, roundtable discussion about school choice, about education in America. Uh, I thought it was important that Senator Scott uh, really broke it down, uh, that, yeah, the, the wealthy have all kinds of choices in terms of school choice. 
Uh, they can do that. But I thought it was interesting that he pointed out uh, that uh, 80% of kind of the working class uh, support school choice, including 76% of Hispanics and 73% of the black community support school choice. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to abandon the public school model, uh, but it does raise some interesting questions in terms of, okay, if there are that many who support having that kind of freedom and flexibility as parents for their child's education, what is it that we could do differently as it relates to public school, and how do you overcome some of those kinds of challenge? Uh, and so, uh, as I mentioned, one of the participants in this roundtable discussion was the former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, and she argued and made a, a fascinating point uh, of what we have learned because of the pandemic and COVID-19 uh, and how it exposed some of the inequalities in the educational system that maybe we haven't been thinking about nearly enough. But we've now seen that the learning loss uh, is dramatic for all of our kids and even more dramatic for poor kids. And I will tell you why, because first of all, let me just dispel something. Poor parents care, right? Yes, right. there are some dysfunctional parents. But I've worked for more than 30 years with boys and girls clubs, and I will tell you something. Poor parents care about their kids. They just don't have means. We don't want to get to a place where we only educate some of our kids. The strength of America is that you were never prisoner of the circumstances of your birth. Senator Scott, you are a shining example of that. My dear friend, uh, the late Colin Powell, was a shining example of not being captive of the circumstances of your birth. You get to move up in this society. And that has made us the envy of the world that you weren't trapped into the place that you were born. And yet, if we can't make education available to all of our kids, we'll no longer really be able to say that. And we will be weaker, both as a country and weaker, as a shining city on the hill, as uh, Ronald Reagan said, as a beacon uh, for others to understand that that's really when democracy is at its strongest, when everybody has a chance. And that, to me, is the, the real crucial takeaway that we in America believe that we shouldn't be trapped by the circumstances of our birth or where we end up at any particular moment, but that there's always an opportunity to move forward. But so often those opportunities are tied to education and our ability uh, to develop additional skills, insight, learning that can help us in that upward mobility path and really create that bigger, brighter future that Secretary, uh, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice spoke about. And I think the important part of the conversation, again, this, is, this was not designed to be any kind of bash on public schools. Uh, they have done extraordinary work for so long in educating our children around the country uh, amidst big challenges, big obstacles. Uh, and I think over the course of the pandemic, we have seen some of our educators and our teachers uh, turn into superheroes of the most extraordinary kind. Uh, and they are overworked and overburdened in so many ways. Uh, I remember going in uh, to give a seminar one time uh, in the Midwest uh, to a group of educators. And I happened to walk through the teacher's break room uh, on my way to the stage. And there was a sign in there that said, you know, we, the overworked and underpaid 
uh, have worked for so long to educate the unwilling for the ungrateful and have done so much with so little for so long that we now actually believe we can do anything with absolutely nothing. And I think a lot of our public school teachers and professionals probably feel a little bit of that, especially coming out of the pandemic, uh, where they have had to just make things out of nothing and without plans, without precedent to, to make extraordinary changes. And thank heavens for those who stepped up in such extraordinary ways uh, to make sure that each child has a chance. Uh, but going back to what Secretary Rice said, that we, we really do have to look at the model and ways that we can improve it and change it so that nobody is trapped by their circumstances or their zip code. Uh, we need to make sure that parents have the ability to be fully engaged in that process where teachers and parents and students can all work together to figure out what works best. Because if there's one thing we have to do in this country, and I love the way that both uh, Senator Scott and uh, former Secretary Condoleezza Rice said, was that really every child deserves an effective, challenging, and motivating education. And we know every student is different. They each have their own unique set of talents and interests. They have different challenges to their learning models. Uh, Having a variety of options for education is so crucial. Uh, Really tailoring it to the one uh, is the biggest challenge, I think, that we face. But it can be done. And I think we've learned some things through the pandemic of ways you can modify and tweak things uh, to make sure that everyone's needs are being met. And again, recognizing that something that's going to work really well for one kind of student may not work at all for another. Uh, And so school choice uh, is a part of that. It should be a part of that discussion so that each student can find a learning environment that allows them to be inspired, to be successful, to be happy. Uh, We know we looked at uh, some of the the school up in uh, Park City uh, that really is tailored for young athletes who are trying to be in competitive skiing and snowboarding and and other winter activities. And so they have a school curriculum that really rolls through the summer and creates more space for them to go to competitions uh, and engage in other things uh, during the course of the winter. A very fascinating way to to look at the change and to look at how do you tailor for specific groups. That's just one example. Uh, And there's so many others out there. And to me, uh, this is not about getting hunkered down on a partisan political issue uh, as if one were right and one were wrong. Uh, That's not how it rolls. There are great ideas and great processes that can come from both if we're willing to have a different conversation when it comes to educating our children. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to talk about how do we have that kind of conversation? How do we get to this idea of intellectual humility and how do we overcome our bias blindness? We're going to talk about that coming up next. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. 
Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.